Hey, welcome to Younger and Older. This is Jason and Dave hanging out at the beautiful studios of Relate365.com in the beautiful Northwoods, Wisconsin on the campus of Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. We'd love to have you come and join us sometime. So if you're interested, whether you're a high school senior, graduate, parent of one of those, I encourage you to head over to NicolayBibleInstitute.org because we're doing something special. If you come and join us for a year, it's kind of like a gap year program where you get to study the Bible get immersed in camping ministry yep. and just get some experience. Um, but if you sign up before April 15th this year, we're going to actually give you a discount on your tuition, $500 off. 500 bucks. 500 bucks, which is a significant amount. We've never done that before. So take advantage of that. Um, otherwise, how, if, how hard is it for a student to work all summer and put $500 away? That would be pretty easy if you had the summer to. The whole summer? Yeah. I bet you statistics don't say that. Yeah. I bet you they don't. Because I've read them. I can't remember them. That's why I'm not quoting them. But what I remember is... That's right. 504 people don't understand statistics. Yeah, I know that. that I'm with you on that one. (laughs) But I'm thinking, the stuff that I've read basically says, you know, a lot of times people go and say, I'm going to get a job so they have money. But the, the high school young people and even college young people, when they go get a job in the summer, it's like they spend it on clothes, pizza, all kinds of stuff. Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, but at the end of the summer, they don't have anything to show for it a lot of times. Yeah, it's because they spent it all. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like those people say, I need to work so I have money. You know what? You'd be better off working somewhere where your room and board were taken care of mm. and having a check at the end of summer and go home with. Yeah. Do you know anywhere like that? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, right here. Yeah. I mean, people can come to Silver Birch Ranch if you're in college. If you're in high school, you need to come and serve and volunteer. That's what you need to do because that's what's best for you at this point. Yeah. You might be rolling your eyes at me, but I'm telling you that's really what's best for you. Absolutely. Secondly, if you're in college, we have positions that you can apply for, Mm -hmm. and you can do that. And what happens is you work, you learn something. It's kind of like an internship almost, and you learn, and you're in charge of different things. And at the end of the summer, we give you a check, and you go home with it. So you have something. No, we don't do that? If you Kind of. If you stay the extra week, but otherwise you don't, but yeah. Well, no, but we don't pay them weekly. Right. We pay them in one check towards the end of their stay. Yes. So they go home with it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sorry, I was confused. He was, but you know, he is that way once in a while. That's right. We're good. We're good. I I just want, I think that people, young people today don't get the idea of having to learn lessons in life because they're busy trying to earn like stuff, money, rather than the, let's go learn something intentionally. So let's go volunteer, mm-hmm. put ourselves under the authority of somebody, go find a, somebody feeding the homeless. Yeah. And just go volunteer and don't complain, don't do anything. Just go volunteer. Just yeah. go help them deliver food, make food, do something. And what you'll find is you'll, you'll, get, you'll learn a lot, but you also have this tremendous joy. And working at camp throughout the years, I've just seen that with young people that come up. Yeah, uh, they either serve and they volunteer, or they serve and uh, there's a small stipend. It isn't, you know, not, nobody's going to get rich working at a nonprofit Christian camp, right? Um, but in the in the same way, you learn something while you're doing. Oh, a hundred percent. And and I would say that pretty much the majority of people that have done it, you know, would attest to that truth and that value, right? You know. So we invite you to give it a try. You yeah. can look at silverbirdranch.org. Go there and uh, take a look. And is there a slash they have to follow? 
Uh, well, you don't have to, but you could put slash summer or whatever. Okay. But otherwise, I mean, you go to silverstretch.org, you'll find everything you need, including a link to Nicolay Bible Institute as well. So Yeah, we'd love you to go check it out. Feel free to check that out. So uh, speaking of lessons learned, I love reading about people who have gone before me who have done something that's somewhat significant. Okay. And um, there's one guy, Victor Frankl, and people might recognize the name. He was actually an Austrian neurologist and, and psychiatrist, so an educated guy. So how would we recognize his name? He's a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote a pretty interesting book oh, okay. about it. Okay. And, and really, that's what I want to talk about. I want to throw some things at you that a Holocaust survivor learned. Okay. And, and see, how would we learn that today? Is he still alive? You know, I do not know. Okay, just curious. I don't know. Um, most of those old. that went through, you know, those concentration camps are not. Right. They're, I mean, they're, they they yeah. were getting old so when I was So somebody would know. Somebody can email us and tell us whether he's alive or not. Um, here's what you'll like. If you, here's what I think. If you look at Viktor Frankl's life and you want to learn something, it he lived with dignity and purpose in the middle of a of a place where they were trying to strip that away from you. Mm-hmm. Now, now think about that for a second. Here's a guy who's living in a place where, where they basically treat you worse than animals you want to discard or whatever it might be. Yeah. And somehow he made it and he thrived in it. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to know? Because right now in our culture, this first world culture, there's a lot of young people that are struggling with dignity, purpose, meaning. And they've got food. They're protected. They have a place to sleep at night. What is it that, what are the characteristics of somebody who actually, no matter what the circumstances are, can be someone who finds their purpose? So I, I'm going to read you some statements and see if it's it, it, appropriate for today. Okay. Uh, one statement, he said, if a man wanted to stay, alo- stay alive in Auschwitz, which is one of the prison camps. Concentration camps. He shaved regularly. Hmm. That was one of the things he forced himself to do is shave. Must they kept him healthy looking? No, you know I don't know. I, I can read for you. Even though it was uh, hard for prisoners assigned to a hut to visit residents, um, he would visit people, and he would give them these little pearls of wisdom to try and stay alive. Now remember his background; he was a psychiatrist, and he, mm-hmm. he was also trying to figure out: okay, they're trying to demean us, trying to destroy us. Uh, one of his main pieces of advice was to stand up straight and shave. So he would go to people that were in prison camp, and he'd say, stand up straight, shave. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, he wrote a book, by the way. If you want to get this book, you can do that. It's called Man's Search for Meaning, and you could read the whole thing. I'm just kind of quoting different pieces from it. But he said one of his main pieces of advice was to stand up straight and shave. Shave even if all you have is a shard of glass. Because they oh. didn't have razors. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, he said, it doesn't matter how you shave, but make sure you shave. And then he wanted to say, a clean-shaven face conveys health, which often meant the difference between life and death when the SS guards were looking for an excuse to pull a sickly man from the ranks and send him to the gas chambers. So he said, one of the things you want to do is at least look like you're fit and look like you're a, in, in decent shape. Mm-hmm. Um how, how does that fit today when people think, I, I shouldn't have to think about what others think of me even? I mean, do, do you ever think about what other people have to look at when they look at you? 
Not a ton, but to an extent. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, obviously part of my job is connecting with youth pastors. So, but is, is it a controlling thing? Like, oh, no, I want people to think really well of me, so I dress a certain way? No. Or, that's not what he's doing here? No, he's just making sure that, yeah. So if you respect somebody and you're with them, like I think about this in my own my own marriage. Yeah, I I love really ugly old beat up clothes. I mean, I do for some reason. Yeah, I don't I don't know why. They're you know I have this pair of pants been with me for about two hundred years. You know I'm gonna wear these, and you know they might have paint on them. They might have, so I might be outside working all day. And when I come in in the evening, it's like you know, I could go shower up and clean up and change. Mm-hmm. Or I could just relax in the clothes that I have on. My preference is to relax in the clothes I have on because yeah. they're comfortable. That's why I put them on to work and outside. However, because I'm with a wife that I respect and I know that she has to look at this, I usually go clean up and change. <laughs> right? I mean, right. it's not because I want to. Right. It's because I'm trying to show respect for the relationship and the person around me. If that makes sense. Oh, totally. So I think Victor was onto something here in the prison camp, obviously in a different twist. But I think we too today can do the same thing, where we we start thinking in terms how how much of our life do you think should be dedicated towards what others think about us? Not much. Okay. How much of our decision making process should be made in light of? how other people think in our presence. Let me give you an example. Yeah. In the New Testament, in the, in the book of, um, is it 2 Corinthians, where they talk about the meat to the shambles, the, the meat oh, offered to yeah. idols? Yeah, I think it's there. Okay, well. Close enough. The Apostle Paul talks about uh, this meat that they used to offer to idols. Sure. Okay, so the meat was offered to idols, and the, and the meat was nothing. And he said that many times. He said, the meat actually is nothing. It's just meat. It, whatever animal it came from, it was that kind of meat. Yeah. They offered it, and the meat, he basically said, has no meaning. It doesn't make you religious. It doesn't make you unreligious. And, and there was a little bit of a controversy because there were people who said you could eat the meat offered to idols, and it wouldn't matter at all. And there were other religious people that mm. said you can't eat the meat offered to idols because— um, they were, it was offered to idols, so it's defiled meat, so you can't eat it. Right. So there are these two groups of people. Now, the Apostle Paul, it's, it's kind of like he was handed a political nightmare. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was handed this bomb. Yeah. Like, so do we eat the meat offered to idols, or don't we? If he says yes, he's got a whole group of people that are mad at him. He says no, he's got a whole group of people that are mad at him. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no winning way to respond to this. Yeah. So, but what he says, I find very interesting. He says, you know what? The meat itself has no meaning. Right. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything religious. It doesn't put me in a better standing with God. It doesn't. But then he went on to say, but I won't eat it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, when I was younger, I thought, that's intriguing. The meat doesn't have any meaning, but Mm -hmm. I won't eat it. Yeah. So I dug in and I I tried to figure out, what are you actually trying to say here? Um, As I dug in, I found out that back in that day there was this place called the shambles and that's where the meat went from the meat market that that basically they got it from the the meat offered to idols and that was always the best meat Mm -hmm. so if you really wanted a great cut of meat you'll go to the shambles and you buy it and he just said it was fine it doesn't mean anything you can do that but there were people there were people 
who were a part of that scenario where they worshipped that God and offered that meat. Okay. And eventually they, they became believers. And they realized that that whole lifestyle was not right. Right. Not right at all. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't go there and they wouldn't touch the meat because it brought them back to a former lifestyle. Yeah. That's the reason they wouldn't go. Right. It wasn't the religious people that basically said that meat's evil, I'm not going to touch it. Because already Paul disqualified that. He said, no, the meat's nothing. So if you think it's something, you're wrong. It's nothing. Right. However, he said, if it causes a person to stumble to not be what they should be because I eat that meat, then Mm -hmm. I won't eat it. Mm -hmm. And the rule was really more about people than it was about the meat. Right. So he's looking at people going, if this really bothers you, if this is something that's going to cause you to go backwards in your relationship with me and with God, then I won't go there. Mm-hmm. Even though I've already taught you the, the doctrine side of things is that the meat's fine, mm-hmm. so it's no big deal. Um, I think about that with sometimes with athletics. If I'm with people, as you know, you're a Bear fan. I'm a Packer fan. And there are some that are rabid fans on both sides. Oh, yeah, totally. If I find that they're just rabid fans i won't mention anything right you know well and that could be true with any subject sometimes anything i mean that's what you could apply that to politics or you know whatever it is sometimes it's better not to mention something absolutely because you know i don't know how many people have asked me what i think of our president yeah but there's been many yeah and i'm sure you didn't answer a lot i don't answer that And the reason I don't answer him, once again, when I think about our president is is kind of my business, and it has nothing to do with whether I love God or not, whether right. I love my wife or not. It has nothing to do with that. Right. And I don't want to sidetrack and cause somebody. There are people, if you realize this, that if you are in a different persuasion politically than they are, they hate you. Hmm. And they discount what you say. Right. So someone in our position, your position here in the program and my position here as the president of the ministry is, I'm, I'm not going to let that happen over politics. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't have a view. It's that most people aren't going to know what it is Yeah, because I've chosen to stay away from it. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying about meat off the idols. He's saying most you're not going to know whether I, I'm not going to eat it. Yeah. So if you are bothered by it, you won't be offended by me. You can still come over and be by me. Mm-hmm. And most likely, if you do eat the meat offered to idols, you'll still talk to me anyway because I'm not preaching about it yeah. to you, uh, which I find is, is very interesting as he, as he took that whole approach. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about it, though, I mean, there are things that, that somehow when we're with people, we try and almost start arguments with them. Mm. There's no benefit in that. I think what has to happen is you have to live a life in front of somebody that is so exemplary that your life is what they have to argue against, not your ideas. Because the ideas will eventually portray themselves in your life. And um, adjusting so that other people are not bothered is important. Um, if I read Viktor Frankl right, one of the things I, I realized from him is he tried to be an example in the middle of prison camp. Mm-hmm. 
he, he tried to do things to help other people have hope. Yeah. He tried to do things to make them look like and to feel important. Uh, he didn't need to do that for other people, mm-hmm. but he tried. Yeah. And I think that if that one of the keys to life is for us to start thinking about how our lives affect those around us. And a true leader, I think, begins to what I, what I like to term is narrow their life up. They start looking at things saying, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And I'm, the reason I'm not doing it is not because it's wrong. It's because of the influence that I might have on somebody. And that influence I need to watch. Mm-hmm. Because I can't control where it goes. When the Apostle Paul was talking about meat offered to idols, if somebody quietly was talking about, oh yeah, you know, he doesn't understand and they were offended and they, they're, you know, let's say that, that he told somebody, you know what, the meat doesn't hurt you, well, go get some and I'll cook it up. So they went, they met their old friends, they got back into their old lifestyle. Everyone that's sane, I think, would say, well, that's not Paul's problem. You know, he didn't say go get back in with those people. Right. He said go get some meat. Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul saying, yes, it is my problem. I need to be sensitive to the fact that that could change their life for the negative. Right. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I bet you missed out on some real nice meat, by the way. You know, but was that really the issue? Um, it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. This Victor Frankel goes on, and he's, he talked about the harrowing conditions reveal just about how adaptive humans are. Um, I just talked to a, 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 a junior high group, and one of the things I asked them was, um, how does living in a first world country actually affect you? And they all looked at me funny at first. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know how living in America, they thought, affected them. And you know, as a whole, most of them said it doesn't affect them at all. And I thought, yeah, you don't, you don't see it. Yeah. You don't see it. Now you've been to other countries. Yeah. And oftentimes it takes going to another country to realize the difference. What is different about the United States of America than the other countries you've been in? I mean, if you could just pinpoint a couple things. what I would say the biggest thing I noticed was how self-centered we are okay. as a culture. Not just on ourselves and our success, but even as a country, you know. And, and um, why like are, why like if that? I were to ask you, you know, what's, what's going on in Venezuela right now? Yeah. Now you, because you read, would know. We have a friend down there, and I get his, his right. email, so you know, I actually would know. But. Right, you would know. But outside of that, if I were to ask the everyday person, it'd be like, not only, I don't know, and who cares? Right. You know, but it's amazing that outside of the states, how much other countries know about other people outside of their country. So why don't we know about other people? We don't see the value in it. Because we're focused on ourselves? Uh, on ourselves, we're kind yeah. of eclipsing? Right. You know, no. he, as I asked these students, I said, what is it that makes you um, feel like you're missing out? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told them I went to a place in Africa once where I spoke to men who made $12 a year. Yeah. And they looked at me funny. I said, no, I said it right. $12 a year. $1 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, if they got sick and they couldn't go to work, they didn't eat. Their whole family lived in less than a 10 by 10 square building. Mm-hmm. Dirt floor. Yeah. Their clothes were always clean. I have no idea how that happened. Hmm. 
these were some of the happiest people I ever met in my life. When I was in Africa at this particular time, it was the first Ebola breakout. Everybody I met had somebody dying of either Ebola or um, uh, AIDS. Mm. Everybody. And I've never sat through worship services that were so powerful, yeah. ever. So these people had no money. They had, they had no guarantees of tomorrow. They had no government assistance. And they, the kids looked at me and I said, okay, let's talk about government assistance. What, what is that? Um, it's when the government helps you by handing out something. Like if you're poor, you can get food stamps. I said, who is it that actually, who is this government that pays for these things? Nobody knew. Mm -hmm. Who is the government that pays for it? Do you know? We do. Yeah, that's what I'm, the point's <laughs> we pretty <do>. simple. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I'm paying for that. That's right. And when, when you hear it that way, you're going, I'm paying for, yes. The debt that, you, that we have is, is just there because we don't have enough money to pay for our obligations are. So if a candidate gets up, a political candidate, and they say, we're going to make sure that health care is free for everybody, who is paying for it? Everybody. If well. They, if it, yeah, if they say college is free, who's paying for it? Somebody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's Somebody's not like it. there's this person called government. Or as my dad used to say, it's not like money grows on trees. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, there's there's this whole idea. We live in a first world country. Yeah. And the young people that might be listening to us are thinking, you know what? I got it pretty easy. I, I get free lunches at school. Can I inform you they're not free? Right. Somebody's paying for your lunches. Right. Maybe I am. Mm -hmm. I don't mind, by the way. Just so you know that somebody actually is paying for them. Uh, so you look at some older people. Go for a go for a trip to a, a, a retirement home and look at everybody that's there and realize how much they've paid so that you could have lunch. Yeah. You know what I mean? In their lifetime. Because somebody's paying. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. Um, we as people need to understand that the way we live and the things around us actually affect how we live. Absolutely. So you want to adjust the things around you. Right. Um, and that way they don't control you. No, they don't. You know, because the other thing that I observed while I, while I lived abroad um, was I came to this, you know, because there was something different that I tried to put my finger on. And it took me a little bit to put it on. And I finally came up with this phrase. And at least I think I came up with it, unless I read it somewhere, but I think I came up with this concept, is that here in America, a lot of people tend to live to work. Right. Whereas outside of America, predominantly, you know, and I was even in a first world country. I was in Northern Ireland, right. so it's not like I'm, I was living necessarily in a Absolutely. third world country. Yeah. But even over there, people worked to live. In other words, work was a necessity. It mm -hmm. didn't control them. They did it because it was a means to an end, and the end wasn't work. Right. Whereas oftentimes here in America, we become so about the stuff that we feel like we have to work in order to really, yeah, you know, like work becomes our life. Because like you said, it goes back to the, the illustration you used at the top of the show, like why can't young people make money over the summer? It's because they spend it right away. Right. Because they think they need this stuff. Yep. Um. And I think that's where we are in America. It's like this consumerism has almost gone beyond, you know, our lenses where we don't even see it anymore. It's yeah. just a part of who we are. You, you know what I found is, is 
when I was younger, I believed this lie that sometimes in situations more helps you um, have more time and more. It doesn't. Hmm. I actually find that less gives you more time. Yeah. So having less of a house means mm-hmm. you clean less. Having less of a yard means you do less in the yard. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a yard. You shouldn't. I'm, I'm just saying it, the bigger, the more you have, right. it doesn't free you more. Like you might say, well, we need two vehicles. Well, yeah, today I had to go in and go to a medical appointment, came back, realized my tires needed air. You know, if I have two vehicles, I got to check two vehicles. If I have three vehicles, I got to check three. And before you know it, it doesn't make life easier necessarily all the time to have more stuff. The simpler you live, the freer you are. Yeah. So to, to learn to live simply. When I looked in Africa when I was teaching, I was just astounded at again the joy that these people had but they didn't have anything you know when they came home in the evening the the husband and again i'm there's no statements here on women's rights right the yeah. women stayed home in this mm-hmm. culture yeah the husband would come home and he would have fish with him from the day because he'd work all day and he would get one or two fish you know for working this was how he got paid that's why they only got 12 dollars a year because a lot of times they didn't get paid in money they got paid in fish or peanuts or something else mm-hmm. so he come home with these fish now think about it there's there's no electricity there there's no um a television obviously there is no phones he comes home it's the, the sun is just starting to go down he comes home what does he have to do that evening what does anyone have to do right nothing nothing so they all gather in front of the house and they build a fire, and they cook those fish. Mm-hmm. And so does everybody else in the neighborhood. Yeah. Before you know it, there's this block party going on where everybody's out talking to each other, and they're all enjoying making supper. Mm-hmm. And those who have more than they need share it with those who don't. Right. And it's like this, and I'm looking at it thinking, I don't know if they're the poor people or I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, honestly, I was looking. Years ago, we took um, our family, our kids, when they were still young enough, and I suggest every family to do this. When your children aren't in college yet, and you can still say, we're doing this, we went to another country, and we went to an extremely poor area in the country. Mm -hmm. And so I've never seen anything that was that devastating as far as how human life was being treated. I thought, oh, man, I don't know how my daughters are going to take this. One of them, that was her goal in life. She went back to Honduras after that, which wasn't the country we went to to start with, found the poorest people she could. She, could. she worked with them. To this day, she has a heart totally for hmm. people who, well, all we had to do is go see them. Right. And she saw that so little, uh, and, and in her life, she's a minimalist. She just doesn't want to gather a lot of things. She wants right. to live a different way. Anyway, let's keep talking about this in the in the next program. Absolutely, because I think the more we talk about it, the more we become aware of the things that we just don't think about that just naturally happen when we can actually change some of the habits or the patterns that we have in life and, and really make a difference. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for this episode. I encourage you to go back and re-listen to some of this episode if you missed part of it. Otherwise, head over to Relate365.com. And you can check out uh, the rest of the Younger Older podcast series and even some of the other series of podcasts that we do and check them out and subscribe to them, all that sort of fun stuff. 
Uh, we thank you guys for joining us. And once again, just as we talked about at the top of the show, if you are interested in Silver Tranch or Nicolay Bible Institute, I encourage you to head over to silvertranch.org or nicolaybibleinstitute.org. Uh, we'd love to have you join us up here. It's a beautiful place. It's a great place to connect and grow in your relationship with God. But from Jason and Dave here on Younger and Older, we will see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>